Thanks, Jenny. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Good. <laughs> Wanted to make sure I was on and that you were still awake. Uh, my name's Jack. I'm Bethany Northeast lead pastor. Good to see. I think I always welcome uh, new people, so I'll welcome people who've been here since we began. Why don't I change it up a little bit? No, just welcome all of you to our worship this morning. We're going to continue this morning in a series we've been in for four weeks now on the Beatitudes. So we're on the fifth Beatitude. Austin, where are you? I'm going to move this, dude. I can't see these people over here or something. It's just a sec. Austin is so tall, I can't, so I can't see the pea trees over here. And Christy, sorry. Hi. Uh, let me go ahead and pray now that I've gotten it really awkward for us, and uh, we'll, then we'll enter into God's Word. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for the chance we have to study your Word together in community. Uh, thanks for this church and the chance we have to worship you uh, also in community. God, just thanks for the blessing of community. Thanks for friends, for family. Uh, for the richness of life together. And so, God, as we even enter into this word together, would you shape us as a community? Would you open our hearts to new revelation? Would you uh, challenge us? Would you uh, equip us to, to walk out of these doors today as people of hope in the city of Seattle? Uh, we thank you for the privilege of being uh, your sign, the signs of your kingdom in the places we live and work, in the places where even today watch the Super Bowl and, and hang out with people that may not have been to church today. Thanks for the chance to be your people. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, we're going to today look at the fifth beatitude, which is blessed are the merciful. They will uh, receive mercy. And I, I learned something new this week about mercy that, uh, or interesting, I should say, that on December, I think it was December, or November 20th, actually, of this year, it was uh, the last year of a year of a jubilee in the Roman Catholic Church. And so... That year began on December 8th of last year, or I guess 2015, uh, and it was declared by Pope Francis because of what he described as this, to use his words, a rapidly rising epidemic of animosity in our world. So he was speaking at, I read this article in New York Times, where he was speaking at St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican or Rome, and uh, on the first day of the Jubilee back in December 2015, and he called, by the way, he called this Jubilee the Jubilee of Mercy. So I don't know how many of you were paying attention to that. Uh, and this is what he said. He said, we see, for example, how quickly those among us with the status of stranger, immigrant, and refugee become a threat and take on the status of an enemy. And as a result, how many wounds are growing deeper due to this epidemic of animosity. And then he kind of goes on in this address and he says this, many are questioning in their hearts, why a jubilee of mercy today? And he says, simply because mercy is the beating heart of the gospel. And then he says, the church in this time of great historical change, huge historical change right now, is called to rediscover the meaning of the mission entrusted to her on the day of Easter to be a sign and an instrument of the Father's mercy. So blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. And I read that this week, and I was, I was just Googling mercy, like trying to find an introduction. <laughs> and uh, I was dumbstruck just because that was over 425 days ago. And he could have said that today, right? We need mercy. That's the word for today. And you see, because there's plenty of not mercy in the world today, isn't there? Uh, there's not mercy at the airports and the borders right now, which is just, as you know, we've seen this this last week, which is just indicative of kind of the not mercy, in the, the not merciful world we live in. Whether that's not mercy in relationships, 
you know, where we see around us dying intimacy in marriages, all around us. Uh, maybe that's your marriage, not mercy. Or fragmented racial relations, or uh, families that are living in deep dysfunction, where parents aren't home after school, or fathers and mothers aren't even talking. Um, there's not mercy toward the poor in our society. I was joking with some folks. I'm just going to be really vulnerable here. Uh, you know, there was a, a guy who had parked his van in front of our church this morning. And we talked to him yesterday about that. And, and the not mercy in that moment is that we were literally singing about mercy and then we're towing his van. There's, not, I mean, there's just no way out, right, if you're stuck in those kinds of situations. Uh, there's not mercy in our inner cities. There's not mercy in our rural communities. There's not mercy if you're a Muslim in our country or a Christian in many other countries of the world. There's not mercy if you have a disability or if you're gay, if you're elderly. There's, uh, there's not mercy if you're unborn. So you go on Facebook or Twitter <laughs> these days, there's not mercy toward those who don't agree with you. I mean, you just go on and on and on, right? We live in this very unmerciful world, which, by the way, is, is, I'm just going to say it's not a new phenomenon. So when Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy, what made this such a radical declaration in his day was that in the Greco-Roman world where Jesus lived and declared this word, mercy was a defect, not a virtue. We look at it as this virtue, right, that we're kind of striving toward. Actually, in Jesus' day, it was seen as a defect. So he's being very countercultural. So the historian Edwin Judge, he's a, a historian of ancient Greco-Roman period, he notes that classical philosophers of Jesus' day, so Epicureans, Cynics, Stoics, just to name a few, they actually viewed mercy as, and compassion as pathological emotions. Pathological. Just think of that word pathological. We think of path pathological liars, pathological murders, and then there's pathological merciful people. And therefore, it was to be avoided at all costs. Like, you would not want to be mercy. They argue this because mercy was providing help for those that didn't earn it, unearned help, uh, which is contrary to the prevailing ethic of their day, which were justice and, and reason, which are kind of similar to us, right? We value justice and reason. Here's, here's Judge, uh, this historian. He says, Mercy was this defect of character, unworthy of the wise, and excusable only in those who had not yet grown up. It was an impulsive response based on ignorance. And then he goes on to quote Plato. He says, this is why Plato had the problem of beggars solved by dumping them over the borders of their state. You hear that? This is ancient Near East. <laughs> and the, he, then this is to quote Plato, to, to the cry of the undeserving must go unanswered. That's kind of the ethic of the day. That might as well, and that might as well describe us in our world, right? That, we need, and we, so we need mercy. We need a, a fresh look at mercy. And that sounds good. Maybe you're sitting there going, yeah, I agree with you. But what does it mean, like, to receive mercy, to be merciful? We hear that, and I know this is me. We don't exactly know how to live it out, you know? <laughs> I don't think, who knows? Maybe that was a merciful act for calling the tow truck. I'm not sure. But what was Jesus, was the Pope, when he was declaring this jubilee, just being soft, you know, was, he, was this really weakness? Is Jesus being weak? Uh, is this a defect in his character? <laughs> or is he saying, just be nice, right? Like, let's all just get along. And the answer, I'll just be qu quite blunt and short with that, is no. <laughs> it's not actually what mercy means. We're going to look at that. We need to understand the more robust and full meaning of mercy to really understand what Jesus is getting at. 
So here's the beatitude again. Blessed are the merciful. They'll receive mercy. We need mercy. And to get it, we need to kind of understand what it means. So just three questions I want to reflect on with you this morning, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table. And those are, what is mercy? <clears throat> Who are the merciful? And then, uh, how have you received mercy? We're going to reflect on those three things, okay? So I want to define it, then look at maybe a portrait of what it would, who a merciful person would be, and then reflect on our own lives, maybe ways we've received it, okay? So first, let's just look at what mercy is. You know, I, I've already said kind of what it's not, uh, all those things in our culture. But look it up in the dictionary sometime. I did. And here's literally what the Oxford English Dictionary tells you. That's, that mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom uh, it's within your power to punish or harm. That's what we think mercy is. We kind of all get that because we've all played the game. I mean, how many of you played that game? Anybody want to go around? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? A couple people do. So this is where you interlock your fingers and then bend them back and then somebody says mercy. I actually heard, I read this in the newspaper, this can cause ir- irreparable damage to your children's hands. So do not play that game. But... That's what we think of as mercy. And that's a fine definition of mercy, that, you know, you're kind of relenting from punishment if you have it in your power to punish somebody. But that's not the, de- the problem with that is that's not the definition the Bible uses. Not even close. So, in fact, it's quite the opposite. Mercy is this old word that actually comes from the Old Testament. and has this long and rich meaning. So it comes from, actually, the Greek word, let me start there, in the New Testament, it's elias. And that's the word to help. So in the Roman Catholic Church, which I spoke of a moment ago, there's the Kyrie eleison. Or what's the band that's saying that? I don't even want to go there. Mr. Mister. So either the Roman Catholic Church or if you listen to Mr. Mister. So, it, and literally that, I don't think they meant that, though maybe they did. Are you a fan? Kind of. You have it. That's awesome, Andrew. Uh, I'm trying to get out of my head. Uh, it's a cry for help. Lord, help us. Okay? That's what... Elias means. And that's the usual translation of this Greek word in the New Testament uh, for the Hebrew word hesed. So like I said, Hebrew or uh, mercy comes from Hebrew, from the Old Testament, and it's this word hesed. Now hesed is one of the most common and probably richest words in the Old Testament. You see it a lot. And it literally is translated steadfast love. In fact, it means the son of mercy. Okay? It's one of Solomon's sons, I think. So you see this, for example, in the Psalms. In our Psalm reading this morning, Psalm 103, which is one reason I chose it. This is Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful. There would be Elias if I were in the Septuagint. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Hesed. Okay? So in that way, you just see how Hesed, uh, mercy or love, or just sort of vocabulary of God's covenant. In fact, if you read Psalm 103 carefully, Psalm 103, verse 7, that one right before it, says, the Lord made known uh, his ways to Moses, his mighty acts to the people of Israel. So there, the psalmist is talking about the covenant. Uh, This covenant language that God made a covenant with Israel to bring them out of bondage from Egypt, out of slavery, into the promised land, to deliver them, to be their God, for them to be his people. And so on God's side of the covenant, this shows this about mercy. That God is capable of and committed to keeping a relationship with us, keeping it alive regardless of what happens, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how we screw it up. That's, that's an aspect of God's mercy. That's hesed, steadfast love. Now, here's the really interesting thing with, with mercy. There's a, a third word that 
a, a Hebrew word, actually, a second Hebrew word, but a third word that is often used to describe mercy. And it's this word, rakamim. And it's used together often with hesed. So in Psalm 103, again, verse 13, kind of goes on. And, and, and this whole psalm is describing the attributes of God. But often in the Old Testament, God describes himself as merciful and gracious, right? And then God, or the psalmist, uh, by inspiration from God, describes what that would look like and uses all these different examples. So in Psalm 103, verse 13, this is what the psalmist says. As a father has compassion, rakamim, on his children, so the Lord has compassion, rakamim, on those who fear him. It's an, it's a, an example of mercy. He knows we were dust. He knows we were made from dust and that we'll return to dust. So that word, rakamim, literally stands for your bowels, okay? We're going to get real here. So, and it's, it's a, a plural form of this word, rekem, which is actually a woman's womb. Uh, it's just that way it makes this sort of mixed metaphor because God is both father and mother in this psalm. All which is to say that mercy or compassion is literally a, a love that is felt deeply, okay? I know some of you have had children. Some of you are pregnant with children. You know how that feels to have a child in your womb. And you know how painful, but also how beautiful that is. And that's what God is saying here in, in Psalm 103, that there's this experience of deep, guttural love that I have for you that's both painful as well as, as beautiful. The love for a mother for a child, that's Isaiah 49, 15. The tenderness of a father for his children, that's Psalm 103, 13. Even this intense love between brothers and sisters, as in Genesis 43, 30. So that's, that's mercy, Okay. And do you see the depth and the richness of it now? It's, mu it's much more than a child's game. It's not, that's not what it's meant to be. It's this sort of, I'll, I'll put it in my own words, a sort of emotional tuning fork, you might say. So to experience mercy, if you think of a tuning fork, it's to sort of begin vibrating to somebody else's pain. To get close enough to feel somebody else's pain. To, to really tune into it. And, and maybe even experience their pain. And to alleviate that pain, even at a cost to yourself. Uh, and so many, many times in the Bible, if you read through the story of Scripture, uh, this is toward, mercy is extended toward vulnerable people. You have widows, you have orphans, you have the hungry, you have the sick, you have the homeless. And in that way, one of my favorite illustrations of this, although if I was telling someone before I got up, I wish I'd re realized that our kids are learning about the, the guys who lowered uh, his, their friend through the roof. That would be a great example. But I, I thought of another one earlier in the week, which is this story in Elijah, or Elijah's life from 1 Kings 17. And I don't know if you know this story, and don't feel like you have to turn there. I'll tell you the story. It's this story where there was this famine in Israel, and there was this drought, <clears throat> and so there was nothing left to survive on. And Elijah, he's the main character in the story of God at this point. He's this big, great prophet, right? And uh, so he's told by God to go to this certain widow in the country where he's, or the place where he's staying who has a son, by the way, and then just stay with her and she's going to provide for him until the famine ends. So he goes to the woman and he tells her, hey, I need you to feed me food. Give me food. Give me water. And do you remember how she responds to him? This is, Elijah, this is 1 Kings 17 verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives. So she's not a believer. I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour, a jar of oil. And I'm gathering some sticks right now. You can just see this, this picture of her out getting sticks to make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. This is their last meal. And Elijah, like, this is like her saying, how dare you ask me for food? I mean, can't you see? 
how poor I am, how desperate I am. Who are you? You know? And yet Elijah persists. He says, don't be afraid. Go home. Do as you've said, but make me a meal first, (laughs) which I just think is audacious to even suggest. And then he says, this is what the Lord your God says, or our God says, that jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And so the story goes. They eat. They survive. It's a miracle of God's provision. And yet while Elijah's staying with this woman, you kind of see where this is going, the, the, their, her son dies. He falls ill, he gets sick, he dies. And uh, this woman, you know, she says to Elijah what you or I would say. I mean, she's pissed. She says, what have you against me, man of God? Have you come <laughs> to remind me of my sin and then to kill my son? Isn't that, I mean, she is so, so upset, so grief stricken. And then Elijah, it's a big turn for him. Uh, I I, I mean, just look how vulnerable he is in this story. He says to her, give me your son. This dead body of this boy, she says, you know, a mother's holding, you can just see her, give me your son. And then he takes this boy into his room where he's staying and lays, you can, he lays this boy on his bed, shuts the door. Uh, And he says, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow uh, by causing her son to die? Can you see the, just the realness of his faith? I came here, I thought you were going to provide, and then you didn't. And then the Bible tells us that Elijah stretches himself, the boy's laying on this bed, stretches himself out over this boy's dead body three times and says, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. That's mercy. That, uh, to be a tuning fork to the most, this is the most vulnerable person you can imagine. Uh, to get close enough and, to the desperate and the destitute. And to, to, to see and experience and, and, and feel their pain. Close enough even to say, why, oh Lord? Like, let their life return to them. Pope Francis couldn't be more right. That mercy is really the beating heart of the gospel. I mean, John 3.16, that God so loved the world. We're going to see this in the end zone of the Super Bowl today. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He got close enough to us. He ate and drank with us. He died on our behalf. He died at our hands. And he did this. The Bible tells us that whoever would believe in him, if believers in this room, whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not be lost. I mean, that picture of Elijah over that dead boy's body is the picture of Jesus over us, covering our lives. Do you, I mean, do you see how rich God's mercy is for us? Uh, so that, and that kind of leads to the second question. You know, if that's mercy, you have a picture of Jesus, then who are the merciful? And it would be, it'd be really easy, attempting it even at this point, just to tell you, and in, in the sermon, do communion, go home. Like, just go be like Jesus. Be like Elijah. I mean, you've got a great picture, awesome story, easy to do, right? Find some hurting people, you know, alleviate their pain. Emulate them. Emulate, emulate these people in, in the Bible. And notice Jesus doesn't do that. He, he, he says this, blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. He doesn't say, here's an example, now follow. He says, blessed are the merciful. 
Now, I can, I can hear someone in the room saying, isn't that the same thing? Isn't he, isn't he just saying, go and do mercy, and then you'll receive mercy? Uh, I mean, do this, you'll be blessed. Extend mercy, you'll receive. And actually, he's not. And here's what I mean by that. Do you know what that word merciful is in this sentence that Jesus articulates? Blessed are the merciful, they'll receive mercy. I know I have some language arts people in the room. I asked my wife this. At first glance, we think it's the action, right? But all the LA people in the room, they know that's actually not true. It's the adjective. Merciful is not a verb. So it, it can't be the action in the sentence. He's not saying, go do mercy. He's saying, blessed are the merciful. Do you see the difference? So that begs another question. What's the action? I want to know what I'm supposed to do because we're doers, right? Well, listen to what Jesus says. Blessed are the merciful. What's the action? To be. <laughs> he just uses the, the be verb. Did I get it wrong? Because that would ruin the whole sermon right there. <laughs> I heard somebody speaking up like, feel free. No, it's cool. Blessed are the merciful. Merciful describes the action, right? Okay, so the, the action is being. You with me? Jesus is not saying go do mercy. He's saying be merciful. Or you might say actually be filled with mercy. Be merciful. Be filled with mercy. And you see, this is a really important moment for us when we come to the story of God and a distinction throughout the teaching of Jesus that he makes again and again and again. In, in other words, there's this tempting route through the Bible, uh, through Scripture, on this sort of sacrifice-centered, spiritual disciplines-focused, perfectionist ethic of self-righteousness. Like, we often read the Bible as a path of doing, as a, as a way of, re, of a moral conformity, of performance. Like, if I do these things, X, Y, Z, Ten Commandments, Nine Beatitudes, if I get them down in my life, then I'm good, right? But Jesus is not inviting disciples to performance. He's not saying, this is the path of doing, do it, do mercy. He's instead saying, walk the more difficult path, which is a path of being, okay? Blessed are the merciful. Be merciful. Be filled with mercy, which is just another way of saying what Jesus says all over the Bible, you do who you are. You do who you are. That's what Jesus says all over the Bible. But that's not what we say. <laughs> we get, we, in our world, we've completely flipped the equation. You are what you do, right? I mean, think of your conversations. Maybe today you're with a neighbor, you know, and they're going to ask you a question and what's the question going to be? Hey, what's your name? Well, my name is Jack. Good to meet you. What's your name? Adam, you know. Eric. Brian. Well, great to meet you. What's the next question? Very next question. What do you do? Now, maybe you, maybe you, maybe you don't ask that question, but we do. We often do that. What do you do? Which implies, where do you work? Which also implies, what is your value in our society? Do you see it? I mean, we live in this society where we're constantly trying to define ourselves and each other by what we do and don't do, trying to pigeonhole each other into these accomplishments that we've, you know, achieved, paint each other in this corner of a pedigree, like what's on your resume, what's on your curriculum vitae, whatever it is. And listen, when we do that, when we define each other that way, when we define people that way, uh, by what they do and don't do, Think of all the insecure. I mean, it's no, no surprise that we're so insecure and so full of self-doubt. Like, think about, about how unstable your life is when you're defined by what you do, 
don't do, can't do. You know, all the anxiety, all the fear, all the fatigue, all the pressure, all the stress. Whether that's in the marketplace, at home as a full-time parent, you know, entrepreneur. Whatever you do, don't do, what you can't do, if that defines you, I don't know if you're with me, but that, your life is a wreck. It's really difficult. Because uh, what, what happens when you can't do it anymore? You, you know, you're on permanent disability. You lose your job. Uh, you know, company downsizes. What happens when, you know, God calls you to some new radical thing? <laughs> uh, and, and, you're, and then you do it and you're criticized. Your manager critiques you the way you're doing your work, and it's not super affirming. I've done that to my employees, a few who are here. So this is a word for me. <laughs> In the first case, if that happens, uh, not only is your identity taken away, it's taken, you're robbed of an identity. You can't do that anymore. In the second case, you, you receive a false identity. This happens all to all of us at one time or another. Failure, impotent, inadequate, you're, and you live with a mentality of scarcity. Like, I don't have, there's not enough of me to go around. There's not enough of my gifts to go around. Maybe God didn't provide. Maybe I'm just one of those least that God talks about that I'm going to inherit the kingdom someday, but not today. Is that any of you? I mean, maybe that's just a rhetorical question. There's a couple people that raised their hands. I mean, has, let me ask a, a side question. Has anyone ever asked you after asking, what's your name? Have they, has anyone ever asked, well, who are you really? I mean, that would be the most uncomfortable. Don't do that, maybe. <laughs> but like, I know you want to tell me what you do, and I know you're just itching to tell me about your job, but who are you? Who are you? I know you said your name's Christy, but who are you? Like, really? Have you ever reflected on that question? You know, I've done this once or twice. It's, it's super uncomfortable. It startles people. But try it sometime at a party. I mean, and here's the question you're trying to get, you're get at. Like, how do you get yourself out of that mess you've made for yourself? How do you get yourself out of the mess we've made for our society? And we get ourselves out of that mess when we begin to see ourselves not by what we do, but by who we truly are. And, and critically, by who God sees us as. Sons and daughters. <laughs> you're, a, you're a child of God. Redeemed. God has redeemed you. You're, you're worthy. You're chosen. You're enough. You're forgiven. And you can look at all these identity statements, and you need to, we need to be able to claim those for ourselves. Uh, so how might that look like? You know, like to be, that's mer like merciful. Jesus is actually saying, you're merciful. He's filling you with that identity statement. So what that look like? To begin to see yourself that way. Uh, to, be, to be a well of mercy. Like to walk out these doors and then go, I'm filled with that. I'm filled with mercy. Would you like some mercy? I'm just filled. <laughs> what would that look like? Well, Jesus, it's a great question. Jesus answers the question. Thanks be to God. He says, blessed are the merciful. They'll receive mercy. And here's what he says. Not only does the gospel place its primary emphasis on being over and against doing, but it says uh, this, that it puts a greater emphasis on receptivity as a means to our response. Do you hear that? Receptivity is a way to response. So response is really key. We talk about that at Bethany all the time. Response to revelation, right? That's one of Richard's favorite little sayings. Uh, but here's the key. Our response to revelation is always predicated on our ability to receive that revelation, okay? And this is, you read through uh, Jesus, this is the point of the, one of his most famous parables. 
the parable of the sower, where, you know, that story in Matthew 13, where Jesus is telling his disciples the story of this farmer who's scattering seed in all kinds of different soils. You know, there's the rocky soil, there's the dry soil, there's the, the thorny soil, and there's the good soil, right? And what, may, you know, what makes that parable unique is Jesus actually explains it for us, so we don't have to worry, I don't have to worry about me explaining it. Here's what Jesus says, that ultimately our receptivity to the gospel determines our response. So he goes into these soils, he says that hard soil, which is just a hard heart, and we've all had that experience, right, of a hard heart, it, it won't lead to faith. That, that goes deep into your life and penetrates every area of your life. If your heart is hard, if your heart is hard, faith will not go very far. It'll get started, but it won't penetrate every fabric of your, your being, fiber of your being. There's that dry soil, which is simply put, you know, when, we, when our lives are not watered by relationship with Jesus, when we don't pursue intimacy with Christ, when we, pursue, when we look at Christianity as religion and, over against relationship, dry. You're not going to get very long with Jesus. He demands that you be in relationship with him. Being a part of a, a gathered community like this, great. What's tomorrow morning going to look like for you? And the next day, and the next day. That's where the roots grow deep. And then there's that thorny soil. This is just a heart being choked by cynicism and pessimism, which is there's a lot of that to go around in our day. Uh, and Jesus is saying, you know, consume all that all day, and here's what's going to happen to your faith. It's going to be joyless, hopeless, and powerless. So don't feed on those things. That's a, that's a thorny faith. <laughs> you get choked out. Do you see it? It's, it's all about how we receive the gospel. Uh, and what that means with respect to mercy is just this. According to Jesus, mercy is not something we obtain. We don't do mercy. It's not something we, we go after, per se. It's something we receive from him. Okay? Blessed are the mercy, merciful, they'll receive mercy. It's outside of us. I mean, God calls himself merciful. He is mercy. And so he wants to give us that mercy as a gift. Which leads to this third and final question I just want to look at with you real quick. And it's, it simply is, how have you received mercy? I think Jesus is saying, blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. I think he's asking us to ask ourselves the question, where have you received it? Because it's all around you. In as much as, as God is in the world right now, there's mercy. Or maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you don't believe that there's any mercy in the world today. I mean, do you believe that there's mercy out there? I mean, in the midst of shut borders, rising religious intolerance, cyberbullying, all this stuff, that is, are we just going to hell in a handbasket right now? Is that, what's, is that what's happening to us? You know? Or do you believe that there's still mercy, abundant mercy in the world today? That God is, is on the earth, Elias, in the world today. That, that there are cries for help to be sure, all over the place. And that God is saying, I'm help, I'm Elias, I'm here. Do you believe that there's hesed, that there's steadfast love all around us? We sing that song occasionally. And yet sometimes I think we look around and go, no, there's not love. There's a lot of hate. Do you believe that, that there's this reckon, that God has this intense fatherly and motherly compassion for the world. Um, you know, and I ask those questions that way because I think it's hard for us to see those things. I think it has been this last few weeks. But I, I believe that if we just open our eyes, and literally there are windows all around us, and we start using our eyes, 
and, and just perceiving the world that God has placed us in, not just with our eyes, but with all five of our senses, if we just dig in, we'll see signs of God's character. We'll see signs of God's activity. So I think one of the best ways to get at this is just look at it in your life. I, I've made it no secret, just to get really real, that I've got a, a tough relationship with my parents. Uh, and recently I was walking through some tough stuff uh, in that relationship, and I was doing some inner healing work with a friend who's here, some prayer. Uh, it's called like healing timeline. So you just walk through your life, you pray, and you pray through the moments of your life. So I was doing that and uh, praying through some pretty hard stuff. And where there, you know, in my childhood, when I was like five, six, seven years old, going back there where there's some particular grief and loss, just real sadness that was kind of, was kind of carrying around with me. So in this one session, I was in this memory. It was very vivid. I know this is going to sound like I'm a little cuckoo, but I was like six, seven years old. And this is back in Spokane where I grew up. And uh, it's in my backyard. I had my dad's old baseball mitt. I still have that mitt. It's like a first, first baseman's mitt. It's just kind of lame to play baseball or like to actually play catch with. I'm just saying if any of you are first baseman, it's kind of hard to catch. But anyway, so I have this mitt. And I have this net. It's got this, uh, it's on a metal frame with the net. Has, does anybody have one of those? And that's great. You know, you throw the ball against the net and it returns to you. It's great if you're trying to get better at baseball, but that's all I had. That's, that's the only way I ever played baseball. That's how I learned to throw baseball. Because I never, I can't remember one moment in my life, I know this is going to sound awful, that I threw the baseball with my dad. Not, not once. My dad was a workaholic, is a workaholic to this day. Uh, and so we would never do that thing together. And so in this memory, I'm back there in the backyard um, throwing this baseball against this net, just throwing it again and again, you know, pretending I'm Babe Ruth or whatever, just kind of doing my thing. And in this prayer time, my friend invites me to invite Jesus into the memory. And that was a little weird for me at first, but I did. I said, you know, okay, Jesus, I welcome you into the memory. And if you remember my story, I didn't grow up with Jesus in my life. So this is kind of a you know, bringing Jesus into something. I didn't think he was there. And guess what? He showed up. I mean, vivid. Like, I could, I could literally, in this memory, see Jesus sitting in my backyard with me. And, uh, and I know what you're thinking. He's going to grab a baseball glove and start playing catch with me. And guess what he did? I'm actually, no, I'm kidding. No. He, he, he never, he didn't. He just sat down on the grass at this great grassy backyard, sat down on the grass, and just sat there. And, uh, and I'm just throwing the ball against the net and again and again, because that's what I did. You know, I just did that. And, um, and then I stopped. You know, I, I was in this prayer time, and I, I got this sense that Jesus wanted me to go over and sit with him, put that glove down. And so my six, seven-year-old year self walked across the backyard and just sat down, uh, which in and of itself wasn't that hard to do. I mean, it was like, okay, I'm kind of imagining, sit down, stop throwing the ball. And, and you know, it was the first time in my life, 43 years old now, that uh, I felt a sense of peace inside of that particular memory. I mean, I, I was literally riding my bike the other day up in like Bothell or something. I saw one of those nets actually on, by, beside somebody's house. They were throwing it away or giving it away. And I, if I had seen that a year or so ago, just would have, the whole rest of that ride would have just been like 
anger and grief and pain. And I was like, oh, look, I could get that net for me and Elliot. But I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. So, so I'm sitting there with Jesus, and uh, I had a sense he wanted me to take that mitt off, put it down. I did. And this sense that he wanted to get up and go, like, hey, let's go. Let's leave this, this memory. So, and we did. We got up, left my backyard through this gate in my, my backyard, and just walked out. Walked out of that memory. And I don't know if this makes any sense. You probably think I'm a little weird, and that's okay. I am. But uh, this was a profound moment of mercy in my life. The mercy of leaving a really painful time. The mercy of God saying, I was actually with you when you were six. I know you think you received me when you were 24, and you love that story, Jack, but guess what? I was after you your whole life. I was with you in that moment. And I will always be with you because there will be times in your life when you don't believe I'm with you. You're pastoring. You're doing whatever you're doing. But you won't believe it. And I'm with you always. Uh, which means that though I'm not necessarily in your life to make you feel better all the time, Jack, <laughs> I'll be with you throughout all of it. No matter what you, whatever you experience, I'll be there. Valleys, peaks, doesn't matter. Uh, to fill you with mercy, a sense of my presence. So there are a lot of examples. That's just one from my life. And I'd sit down this week and think about it and rehearse, go through it. Uh, and for you, it might be just a healing from a sickness. It might be reconciliation with a member of your family. It might be comfort in the midst of a, a, a time of grief. I mean, peace with who you are, you know, your identity, inside your own skin. There's so many examples. Blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. So where... Where has God shown you mercy in your life? That's what I'm asking you to reflect on today. Where have you received it? It's there for you. Are your hands open to it? Is your heart open? And so here's what I want to do as, as a means to response. We're going to come to the Lord's table. But first, there was a card in your bulletin that says, can you see it? And take that out. I, and I think this was based on the assumption that all of you have pens. So some of you have crayons from your kids. Might need some pens. Uh, this is maybe homework for you, too. All six of our locations are using this in different ways, this card. So every, everywhere at Bethany today. And what I'd like to invite you to do is to reflect on a time when God has shown you mercy. Like, that story I told you may not, you're like, great, great story, Jack. Whatever. B but it's mine. <laughs> and so that's my card. And I, I believe all of us have stories of God showing up in our lives. Uh, being mercy for us. And sometimes we just need to remember that. And so I want to just invite you to, to take a moment before you come to the table this morning. Just ask God, God, you know, where have you been mercy to me? Where have you been merciful in my life? Where have you shown up? Where are you showing up? And just jot that down. And then I'm going to ask you to take it home, actually, uh, and put it somewhere where you're going to see it and be reminded. And maybe you won't get that that word today, maybe it'll come to you throughout this week, write it down. Tuck it into a book. Put it on a window, wherever, you, wherever you're going to see it. And, and be reminded that God is mercy. And God wants to, to fill you with his mercy, okay? So let's just take a moment to pray. I'm going to invite our worship team forward. And then give you just a, a minute here just to ask the Lord, where has he been mercy to you, okay? Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, 
your great love for us as declared in Scripture, your compassion for us. You say you're our Father. We thank you that you embrace us like that. That we are not cast aside from you, that we are called into relationship with you as your children. So God, would you, even in this this time of response, would you uh, bring to mind places in our lives where we've experienced your mercy, your compassion for us, your desire to enter into our pain? Would you bring those before our minds, God, as a way of, of just remembering that you're with us today? And God, as you bring those things up, uh, we thank you, Jesus, that you're living in us, that you're speaking to us. So I'm going to invite us to just continue to reflect. Uh, You may be able to write. Uh, Maybe you need time. I mean, thinking of that story and just telling to you today, for me, took time. And so I want to invite you to take that time with yourself um, and with God to, to ask him to reveal to you where he's shown up and where he's with you. And then as you're ready, I just, and that may not be today, but as you're ready today, I want to invite you to then come and receive God's mercy for us. Like I said, you know, Elias has said, Rechem, this is this table, this bread and these cups are powerful symbols of God's mercy, God's compassion, God's tenderness, God's brokenness on our behalf. You know, his body broken to make us whole, his blood shed to forgive us of all sin. That's what this is. And so this morning, I even just want to invite you to come receiving communion that way, saying, God, fill me with your mercy so that I might be mercy to those in my life. Okay. And it's extraordinary that simple bread and juice can do that, but we believe that God is in with and through this meal. And so that's why we do it. We do it in belief that this is part of the life of Jesus. And so let's uh, pray for him to, to meet us here, and then I'll invite our servers to come in and serve communion.